Welcome to the Zinov Podcast Hyperintelligent Automation Series, where we bring to you conversations with the leaders and trailblazers of automation from around the world. The current avatar of automation, Hyperintelligent Automation, or HIA, is a powerful confluence of process intelligence, intelligent document processing, RPA, low-code, no-code application development, and intelligent virtual agents, built on a stack of advanced intelligence capabilities and next-gen infrastructure. It empowers enterprises to drive integrated experience outcomes powered by agile, configurable workflows. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Snow Podcast Hyper-Intelligent Automation Series, the most diverse destination to the who's who of the global automation industry. I'm Pranko Sharma, principal at Snow, and I will be your host for today. Process intelligence technologies such as process mapping, process mining, task mining have become an integral part of the hyper-intelligent automation juggernaut especially in the last couple of years when we have witnessed the penetration increase from 31% to a whopping 54% across companies that have already started on their automation journey. And this is expected to just rise further and reach a massive 81% in the next two years as per a recently conducted automation CXO survey. Process mapping is in fact one of the most critical building blocks of the process intelligence stack and almost 40% of the companies are already using the technology for their automation programs. To shed more light on the process mapping technology area and its relevance for organizations, especially as leaders look to build resilience by leveraging the technology, we have two special guests. It's a pleasure to introduce our guests for the episode, Teresa Fisher, Chairpoint Architect at Quaker Horton and Ben Tamlin, Vice President, Corporate Communications and Brand at Nintex. Teresa has extensive experience of building scalable solutions based on Microsoft SharePoint and related technologies, while Ben is an expert storyteller who demonstrates the human impact of technology. Welcome, Teresa and Ben. Great to have you with us today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Pranko. Thanks for having us. So let's dive right into the episode and hear more from them. Uh, Teresa Quicker Horton has recently hopped onto the process mapping bandwagon. What were the triggers for you to look at process mapping solutions in the first place? So we had a situation where our company uh, was merging with another company. It was equal in size and we both had processes in place for various functionalities. And we were looking for a way to merge them and integrate, you know, to take best of both. And at the same time, have transparency and involvement for all the players. The data governance team that originally came to, to me to say, do we have anything? And uh, Brock, I was working with from Nintex, suggested this tool. Um, and it was really just about being able to have something to put all of our thoughts out there so that we could work together to map out these processes and identify economies of scale and areas where there may be duplications and, and really jumping off points for, for other processes. Where are they connected to each other? Um, and it turned out to be the exactly what we were looking for. Got it, got it. And another aspect that intrigued me, and I'm sure the audience will resonate with me as well, is that today the market is fairly saturated with a lot of solution providers in the broader automation space, as well as for process intelligence and process techno mapping technologies as well to some degree. And with, with each of them offering their own unique set of capabilities. 
what made you choose the Nintex ProMap solutions? Were there any specific capabilities that aligned with your requirements? Well, for one thing, we were already using the Nintex tools to build automated solutions based on our SharePoint uh, environment. So that was a big selling factor. It's like, oh, it's also Nintex. We already knew how to use it. We already had the arrangement. We could get some free trials and some free training. And Nintex was, was a beauty with giving us the free training, which we recorded and, and then we were able to reuse. And so it was really kind of a no-brainer to at least try it. And then when we rolled it out to people to say, hey, come try it, come to the training with us, everybody who used it saw the value immediately. It was very intuitive interface. It made a lot of sense. There were nice little tools where you could export it to a PDF or you could click the button and create a, a workflow in SharePoint, things like that. So it was, um, it was really uh, kind of lured us in with the free try it. And, and that was the selling point, just being able to have our hands on it. And really everyone who tried it decided that this was the tool. Great. I think that speaks volume about uh, just the capabilities of the product. And this question is for you. I think you have full research uh, knowledge on the process intelligence solutions with extensive experience in the broader technology space. I want to understand a bit more about process intelligence in general, right? What clarity should a customer really have when they're embarking on their process intelligence journeys? What do you usually advocate as they as they really initiate that uh, yeah. program? Look, I think the first the first step, I think, for any organization, regardless of whether they're a large enterprise or a smaller company, is, is to just to establish a baseline of where your processes are. I think one of the biggest challenges most companies um, go through is just, is just trying to work out where these processes exist. You know, you've got processes that exist in a lot of business applications, whether they be ERP or CRM system. You've systems, you've got document automation systems, you've got workflow and business process management platforms that you're trying to trying to capture information in, you've got RPA solutions that are perhaps embedded into parts of your organizations, but perhaps not distributed broadly across the organization. So getting to a place where you can begin to start to create a baseline, so you can actually understand, you know, I guess the process intelligence landscape is probably the most logical starting point. And, you know, when I think about, and I mean, I, and I'll use Teresa's example as, as, a, as a really good one. Like when you go through an M&A, an acquisition or a merger like they, like, like Quaker Houghton did, that all of that, all of those data sources, all of that information, all of those areas where process exists is exponentially greater, which makes your job twice as difficult or three times as difficult. But I think that's the starting point is you've got to work out what your baseline is. And then you can begin to start to recognize that, hey, this is not just about the process of the technology, but there's a huge amount of work that goes into ensuring that you can create an environment where people can not only understand what's possible, but ensuring that you've then got a culture that's going to allow and support for the kind of change that any organization is going to go through as they begin their sort of process intelligence journey. Right, right. So process intelligence is really the foundation as we can think of it while building your automation program at sense. Yeah, that's right. And Teresa, with adopting process mapping technology or even I think in general any technology, when you first get started and, and I think throughout that process of getting out the desired outcomes from that solution, there needs to be clear accountability and ownership, right? So in Quaker Horton's case, who was really the owner of the technology and who I think continues to sort of govern it? Like, is there some specific enterprise function that was owning it or, or was it a specific role or a person who was responsible for ensuring that you had your eyes right on onto the target and the objectives that you wanted to achieve out of the initial deployment? 
Right. Like I said, the original request came from our data governance manager who actually works for the same person I do. So he's part of the enterprise applications team. So we, as the enterprise applications team, kind of took ownership of the tool and, uh, you know, getting it implemented and getting various players. And because I work with people across the organization, helping them with this uh, business process automation, I kind of knew a lot of the players who should be the people that we want involved here. So um, I'm going to say that the data governance manager retained the, the role of stakeholder for this particular application. And then I took on the admin role. And then our, our manager, our director, became the, like, the owner of the process. And uh, if anyone had any questions or if they were looking to say, who do I call? Uh, call Eric. He's my boss. All right. So it was kind of a grassroots effort, but really it was a grassroots from within IT. So it was, it was kind of cool. Right. And then, yeah, I think ownership is one part of it, but uh, I think figuring that out, of course, is, is one part of the problem as you get started on any of these uh, technology adoption journeys. But with process mapping, as you were starting out or even throughout that path, what were some of the other challenges or roadblocks that you faced uh, while implementing it? Or even I think currently, if there were certain challenges, even post-deployment that, that you would have uh, faced? Yeah, so some things that we, were, we ran into were, for instance, uh, the supply chain group wanted to map out all of their processes into a bit of a struggle because as we said we were merging processes merging companies and a lot of times we had to take a step back and have conversations first before we could do this so i think that the activity of mapping all this in the permit tools kind of gave rise to some of those conversations earlier than they would have taken place and i think that was good so you know the supply chain people realized that the you know north america is almost exactly is what they're doing in south america oh my gosh we should talk to each other and you know we could have meetings with visuals to say okay well this is the process and then they can say oh well that's not how we do it and, and it's a very difficult set of conversations to redefine your business process so having visuals is very helpful but the thing that was really kind of throwing these people is as we're having the conversations and they're saying well no that's not when we do it we need to happen over here i would just online sharing my screen move the thing i just move it oh you mean like this yeah okay <laughs> that solves the you know no more no more argument because I, we just moved it right and uh and now we can move on to the next point because that one's solved and so it was kind of a cool little process yeah that, that sounds very powerful uh, and, yeah. and on that note ben uh, what advice do you have for enterprises who are embarking on this journey from your experience and of nintex really helping several of your customers on adopting such solutions how can they make the adoption process smoother and make sure that they're getting maximum value out of, of product or solution? I, I mean, I think the first answer, Pranko, is to listen to what Therese just said. I think she articulated so beautifully in terms of the process that, um, that the Quaker Houghton went through. I think it's a very, very familiar experience. I kind of look at it from three different perspectives. I think first and foremost, Therese kind of outlined this as well, is you know you first have to understand and identify your business processes. And as I said, as I said earlier, they're, they're in a variety of different places. And so the more you can begin to start to visualize and document those processes and do it with the people that are actually going to be involved in it, that becomes hugely powerful because not only are you creating an environment where you can begin to do a better job of managing your baseline, but you're bringing people along for the journey as well. And that's a critical part of the cultural transformation that's going to have to happen as we begin to start to think about what a process intelligence culture looks like. 
The second area, once you've actually begun to start to identify and understand what those processes are, is, is recognizing where there's opportunities to improve them. And as Teresa really did a really great job of describing, as she's gathering that knowledge and understanding about how different parts of the supply chain business work in North and South America and recognizing that it's really just a very, very subtle shift in order to be able to get them to really understand the differences between those two things, I think becomes really, really important. So the more you can kind of do that monitoring recommendation around process improvements and do them in real time as Teresa kind of described, like that is a really great way of really embedding this notion of continually improving your processes. And then the third piece, which I kind of think of as almost kind of running horizontal across those two areas is this notion of kind of continually providing and delivering insights. This is where you begin to start to embed you know, real-time intelligence across that process intelligence platform so that you can begin to identify bottlenecks. You can begin to start to, to really measure where there is potential and perhaps realized return on investment. And you can actually begin to start to then capture some of those best practices so that, you know, as Teresa's team moves on from working with the supply chain group and moves into the next part of the company that's ready to take on these new sets of challenges, you can take that knowledge and transfer it in a way that, uh, that ultimately allows every single person in the organization to get gain the same levels of value and success out of that work. And when you do all of those three things, you, you begin to start to get to a point where you're creating, in essence, what we would typically refer to as a, as a system of record or a system of intelligence that you can begin to start to use very, very broadly across your organization, whether you're big, small, or somewhere in between. So what I'm hearing is it's really a continuous process of you leveraging process intelligence and, and keep juicing out efficiencies across the organization, right? So it's incredible to hear about that. We started with what were the triggers to adopt the solution, right? So you had certain objectives, certain sort of requirements that you wanted to meet, but uh, were there some additional benefits that you were able to get as well that you did not maybe initially envision, uh, you did not really have, have those in mind, but yeah, I think those were some, some nice supplies you got almost. Places. Yeah. You know, one of our identified goals is to um, allow or to make easy this uh, idea of continuous improvement. So we don't want to just build it and then next year we have to review our processes and see what we can improve upon. We want to do continually improving upon. And this is actually uh, the tool is very nice for that because it's not like we're creating a Visio and then putting that Visio document out there and, and it's got the approvals and dates, right? It's a live dynamic doc, you know, not even a document, it's an application. And so we can have versioning control and it tells us, right. And we only have certain people who are allowed to make certain changes, but what we can do is we can say that, you know, this supply chain piece is done. We're done with that. And over here, we've got this uh, raw materials procurement piece and that's done. Okay. Well, here we come. We want to, we want to integrate these two pieces. And we don't have to reinvent anything. We just kind of have to figure out how they integrate. Where's the touch points? And then it just continues. It's just a big, long, you know, you just turn the page and the pages are connected to each other type of idea. So our idea was originally that we need some way to go in there and help these groups figure out their processes. But what we're doing is we're actually creating an, an umbrella of corporate processes. And it's very nice. Yeah, it's interesting to said you touch upon that uh, continuous improvement philosophy and outcome and, and the goals thereof that you are chasing. Uh, ben, I think I know Nintex also propagates that continuous improvement culture within organizations mm. and, and across your customers, right? So, uh, how how are you helping customers imbibe that culture? Uh, can you share some learnings maybe around that? 
Yeah. I mean, I think part of it, and I'll, I'll sort of build a little bit on some of the things that Teresa said, is notion that no process is static. It is continually evolving and culture, and in fact, is exactly the same thing. And if I look back, if, you know, if we were to go back in time, just three, three years ago, and we look at the way in which we worked prior to February 2020, and the way in which that's changed over the last three years, there's been a monumental shift in terms of the processes that we use and the processes that we hold dear that ultimately allow us to run successful businesses and the culture that's required and the cultural adjustments that have been required in order to be able to do that. I was, I was chatting with um, an internal team yesterday on, on the importance of culture as we sort of think and, and the process of culture. And we were chatting about the fact that there was someone who had just come into a particular team at Nintex and had come in and had real impact despite only being in the company six or seven or eight weeks. And, you know, the way I kind of framed it up was, you know, every time we make a hiring decision or anytime any company makes a hiring decision, that person is going to shift the culture of the company. And they're going to shift the processes that they're involved in on a daily basis. That's the kind of thing that we should absolutely embrace. Because every time we make a new hire, every time we build or design a new process because of a change in the economic landscape or a change in the way in which we work, every time that happens, we get the opportunity to learn and grow and develop, not just as companies, but as individuals. We get to evolve our culture in a way that ultimately makes us better culture. It makes us a more learning culture. Um, and so that's an incredibly powerful thing when you think about it. And it's incredible responsibility as well when you think about it. You know, someone like Teresa, who, who's in in essence, driving process across such a large organization like Quaker Houghton has this incredible impact on the cultural attributes of the company. Um, and these are the things that we sometimes sort of take for granted, but they are a critical part of not only what makes a set of process projects successful, um, but they ultimately help companies and the individuals inside them grow in the most profound and dynamic ways. So, yeah, no, absolutely. It's so exciting. <laughs> it, it is, I think. It, yeah, I, I think it's exciting. It. I think it's fascinating. I think there's, I think there's some amazing things that happen when we begin to start to adjust and shift some of these processes. They're they're far bigger than just, like you said, they're far bigger than moving a set of diagrams on a screen or anything. Yeah, like that. it's incredible, incredible value that sits behind that. I love the passion I think Ben Teresa and it's uh, certainly great to hear your stories. I have one last question uh, for you Teresa. If you had to uh, sort of redo those last 12 months since you've been uh, using the solution or when, when you actually started out on the journey, would you do something differently now that you have that experience of going uh, and adopting it, deploying it, getting benefits out of it? On that note, any any advice you want to leave companies who are looking to just start out at, at this point? I would get more people involved, right? Um, you know, this was kind of a volunteer, hey, this is a great tool. Do you want to try it out? But truly, I think it should have been more of a, we're identifying you as someone who needs to be involved in this and, and then come on down. And so I would have maybe switched it around a bit and been more proactive as far as who are who are recruiting to be part of the, the program so that, uh, you know, maybe not instead of just supply chain North America, maybe we would have had representatives from the global organization. And that would have been a very cool way to invent that. As it is, we kind of did each region and then figured out where they have overlays and touch points. So it was maybe a little bit more more work than it needed to be, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe that was the best way to do it. I don't really know because that's how, that's how we did it. But uh, yeah, I probably would do things a little bit differently if I were to do it again. 
thank you thank you to this sir thank you ben for sharing those valuable perspectives and speaking so candidly about your experiences love to uh, hear the story of our adoption of the process mapping platform at quicker hotel and how you've been able to leverage it so effectively across the organization and uh, i think ben from uh, your experience of helping several of your customers in deploying these process intelligence technologies i think it's just such such valuable insight that that you were able to yeah. to add as well and i'm sure that i think our listeners would have found it uh, insightful and useful as well thank you thanks thank you so much for having us pranko Yeah, thanks. I I enjoy talking about this sort of thing. So, not everybody wants to listen. So, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of the Zenof podcast. We will be back with another episode soon. Till then, stay safe and take care. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Zenof podcast, Hyperintelligent Automation Series. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. If you have suggestions or if you'd like to nominate yourself for any of our podcast series, drop us a note at info@zinov.com. At you can check out our other podcasts on our website at www.zinov.com. Thank you.